This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. The question of whether neurogenesis persists in humans and for how long, that is, whether and where humans grow new neurons in their brains and how long into our lives, is one that has engaged neuroscientists for decades. Some papers showed that humans did retain neurogenesis into adulthood, but the issue has been debated. That debate was reignited just recently with the publication of two new studies. The first one, published in Nature, is titled Human Hippocampal Neurogenesis Drops Sharply in Children to Undetectable Levels in Adults. Not long after, a second paper was published in Cell Stem Cell titled Human Hippocampal Neurogenesis Persists Throughout Aging. To discuss the seemingly contradictory results of these two papers are Lisa Monteja, professor of neuroscience at UT Southwestern Medical Center, and Christoph Anneker, assistant professor in clinical neurobiology at Columbia University. First, let's talk about why scientists care about neurogenesis. Studies have shown that many different external inputs can influence neurogenesis in rodents, says Dr. Anneker. Exercise, for example is um, an environmental stimulus that can increase neurogenesis. Antidepressant treatment can increase neurogenesis, whereas manipulations such as inflammatory responses to disease or um, stress hormones have a very potent effect on decreasing neurogenesis. And it has been shown in rodent studies that these changes in neurogenesis are really functionally important for behavior because they seem to change how an animal responds to anxiogenic stimuli, how it responds to stress or how it responds to antidepressant treatment. So the functional role of these new neurons seems to be particularly important during anxiety-like behavior, for example, but also for learning and memory. Dr. Monteja, what's the implication of this? So there's been work to show that in terms of stress-related disorders that you can actually see a decrease in neurogenesis. And that's been interesting. Um, There's a lot of data documenting this in rodents. And work probably close to 20 years ago now, from Renee Henslab, had shown that neurogenesis was important for antidepressant responses to fluoxetine. And so the idea really started to become, could you increase neurogenesis? Could this have antidepressant effects? So there was a lot of excitement in this sort of idea, and this has sort of been around in terms of trying to harness neurogenesis for other disorders too, such as Alzheimer's disease, or neurogenesis has been linked to learning and memories. So there's been a lot of enthusiasm across the board for really what could increasing neurogenesis really mean in terms of potential therapeutic advances. So now let's take a closer look at these two papers. The first one says neurogenesis drops sharply in children to undetectable levels in adults. They studied 59 post-mortem and post-operative brains. They used specific antibodies to detect markers in these brains that are markers for new neurons. And what they found was that neurogenesis, so the presence of these new neurons is very high in the fetal brain and right after birth, but it then drops very rapidly until the age of 13. And the last cells that they could find was in brains from 13-year-old individuals, but not at any age later than that. And then the second paper came out with a statement that neurogenesis persists throughout aging. In this paper, they studied 28 autopsied brains from men and women age 14 to 79. What's going on here? Well, I think it is very difficult to give a definitive answer without much more research. But there are a couple of technical differences between the two studies that I think are worth pointing out. Um, One of the, what I feel um, most important difference is that the study by Baldrini and colleagues in which they did find neurogenesis all the way into late life actually had 
clinical information on these patients. So they actually excluded patients that had a history of psychiatric disorders or that had neurological disorders, and they also had toxicology data available from these patients, and they excluded patients in which they could find any positive toxicology for psychiatric medication or drugs of abuse. And this is something that the paper that did not detect neurogenesis in the adult brain did not have. And I think this is important information because we know that all these um, neurological disorders or psychiatric disorders or medications can greatly impact the levels of neurogenesis. A second point, I think, is related to the postmortem interval. Obviously, when we look at human brains, these human brains, unlike rodents, are not immediately available to the researchers for these studies. So there's a large delay between when the person dies and the brains are actually collected and preserved for any of these experiments. And the postmortem delay was also quite different between these two studies and the study that didn't find any adult bone neurons. The delay was up to 48 hours, so two days after the person had died, the brains were collected. Whereas in the study in which these new cells were found, um, the postmortem delay was less than 26 hours. And I think these differences in the postmortem delay could actually impact the quality of the staining and the quality of these markers that are expressed by the young neurons. What are you taking away from these two studies? What becomes clear to me from all these studies is that if there is neurogenesis in the adult human brain, the number of these adult-born neurons that's being added to the hippocampus is going to be relatively low. And I think this is something that we see from the study by Baldrini and colleagues, the second study that was published, because there the number of adult bone neurons is a couple of thousand cells. And that's a couple of thousand cells in a brain structure um, that has millions of neurons. So I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is how many of these new neurons are actually necessary to have a functional impact on brain function and behavior. And I think this is something that's obviously very difficult to study in humans, but this is something that we could follow up on in these rodent studies, because something that we are finding in the lab now in rodents is that these adult-born neurons can actually affect the function of these much more abundant uh, granule cells in the hippocampal dentate gyrus. So you might actually not need a large number of these new neurons in order to have functional effects, because they might modulate a much more abundant population of developmentally born cells. The idea could be that if you could simply just enhance neurogenesis, just perhaps, you know, a certain percentage would have profound impact in the function of the hippocampus. So it's not so much perhaps maybe the actual number, but as Chris was saying, how they can influence other neurons in terms of their function could be quite profound. And by understanding how neurogenesis may change with age, why is neurogenesis very high embryonically and why does it decrease with age? Perhaps by understanding those factors, you would be able then later in life to modulate neurogenesis to a certain degree. What research do you think needs to be done next, Dr. Monteja? So how it's been studied has been in postmortem brain. But I think this really highlights the importance of animal research because with animals, you can then actually not only look at neurogenesis per se, is it occurring, but you can actually look at ways to study it to see if those neurons are functional. Do they turn into neurons? Do they turn into mature neurons? Do they integrate in the correct way? Are they influencing other neuronal populations? There's a lot of very sophisticated and important 
delicate work that needs to be done. And I say delicate because there is a level of sophistication to actually study these. This isn't a gross phenotype that's happening all over the place. It's actually very restricted, which is quite interesting. So why is it restricted to particular brain regions? That's something that we don't know. So by using animal models, you can start to get out what are they doing? Are they functional? Are they important? How do they continue? You can ask a lot more sophisticated questions. So even though there clearly can be differences, not only between mice and humans, but between mice and rats, but what are the commonalities and where do they bring us in terms of really moving to the next step of trying to understand the role of neurogenesis and can it be harnessed as a therapeutic? I completely agree. I think the um, rodent studies will be essential to um, answer the question of what the functional implication is of adult hippocampal neurogenesis. And I think the study in the human brain will probably be restricted to post-mortem brain tissue. But I think it would be important to also develop some in vivo markers. And this development could be um, informed by rodent studies, for example, one could think about developing new pet ligands that might be specific for adult-born neurons or for stem cells in the hippocampus. And perhaps if these ligands could be developed in the rodent brain, they eventually could also be translated into the human brain, actually study this process in living humans rather than postmodern brain tissue. This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. Thanks to Lisa Monteja, professor of neuroscience at UT Southwestern Medical Center, and Christoph Anneker, assistant professor in clinical neurobiology at Columbia University. I'm Cynthia Graber.